0: I actually said to my husband, I feel like it wasn't a conscious thought. Wouldn't it be funny if I had cancer? Like it came out of my mouth one day. Clearly not funny, but I feel like it was my soul, like trying to like save me. Just a little breadcrumb coming out of my mouth of like a little spark, a little like pay attention. My physical body was dying for years previous. And I think a lot of people's physical bodies are dying, but we tell ourselves that we're healthy or we don't have time or that we just can't figure it out or this is the way it is.
1: Hello there, Brave Table fam. Welcome, welcome to another episode of The Brave Table. I'm your host, Dr. Neetha. And this is your oasis, your destination to be all things just a little bit more brave in your life, in your actions, and in your relationships. Now... Today, we are getting a little emotionally uncomfortable. We are going to find joy in life's challenges. And the person that is going to take us there, she is the queen at it. It is none other than Heather Chauvin. And I love this quote because she says, I think a lot of people's physical bodies are dying, but we tell ourselves that we are healthy or we don't have time or that we can't just figure it out or it is the way that it is. In this episode, it is jam-packed and power-punched. Heather Chauvin is not only an author, a speaker, and an advocate for emotional well-being. Obviously, we geeked out on all things emotions and she redefines the concept of courage. Heather has honestly been through it all and honestly, we have gone through it. I was also on her podcast earlier this year. She has been through teenage pregnancy, cancer, career change, but even through all of the emotional discomforts of it all, she has embraced life's contrast. As somebody who knows all about grit, honestly, Heather definitely has it. So this episode is going to challenge you to discover the career and courage to act on what it feels true to you even. When you're faced with the unknown. In this episode, we talk about how to face fear and emotional challenges after receiving cancer diagnosis, balancing motherhood with prioritizing needs during sudden life changes, and acting on what feels true, even with little or no support and an inconvenient timing. Heather is a leadership coach who helps successful women courageously and authentically live, work, and parent on her own terms. I'm so excited to bring her on to the table this week. Let's welcome Heather Chauvin to the Brave Table. Heather. Hey there, Queen. Welcome. We're doing this. I'm so excited. I can't wait to have this conversation. Oh my gosh, two queens all about uncovering and unpacking emotions. So I just wanna get into it. When did that all start for you to be emotionally uncomfortable?
0: Oh boy, I feel like birth maybe, coming into the world, just being a little sensitive soul, right? When we go back and look at time, we're like, yeah, I was kind of all always this type of person. Were you like but- a deep feeling kid growing up? 100%. And when I look back at like my coping strategies, like I had so much anxiety, I wanted to be alone, but it just felt like the pressure of the world was on my shoulders all the time. I wrote a lot as a child, did not even know what journaling was. It was just like the go-to. It was really when I turned 18 though, that was the life changer for me. I became a mother mm-hmm. when I was 18 years old. And now my boys, I have three boys. They're 18, 13, and 10. Wow. And that was a huge, one of the first, like whatever you want to call it, breakdown to breakthroughs, aha moments. But I just remember looking at my son thinking, I don't want to become a statistic. And that was the first time I felt, yes, I always felt like the pressures and you a know, big feeler, sensitive child, but it showed up as depression because I just... Would sleep it off. Like that was my drug of choice was sleep, like hiding to protect myself. But when I became a mother, I was like, I can't do that anymore. Like I got to show up. I got to figure that out. So then I shifted from like that, like, you know, the shrinking to the hustle, Mm -hmm. the
1: doing. So did you actually, I want to unpack this for our audience too, because that's huge becoming a mom at 18. And How was that? Was that an acceptance in your family? How was that received? And what were some of those pressures? Because I can only imagine.
0: So at the time, I was dating someone who I did not want to spend the rest of my life with, who had severe mental health and addiction issues. And some I was aware of and some I was not aware of. I mean, when you're 18 years old, I had no idea. But I just remember this feeling of like, this is my responsibility. I'm going to take ownership for this and I'm going to protect this child. And my family was supportive in the sense that it was like, okay, resistant, but supportive. And there was this sense of like, what are you going to do about it? In the sense that my mother didn't Embrace it with open arms. And I had to, I started looking for government housing. I started, you know, going on government assistance, trying to get as much like support that I possibly could. And then at the last final moment, she's like, yeah, I guess you can live here. Mm -hmm. So it was like the tough love approach. I was so angry and resentful. I was terrified and scared. A lot of my friends, of course, were like, oh yeah, like we can see her future. So I had friends that were supportive, but then I had, you know, I was the talk of the town. But part of that actually was, you know, the bigger story around it, and I don't really talk a lot about it, is my son's biological father has since passed from a drug overdose. Mm. Something happened at the hospital. And he went into psychosis. He showed up at the hospital. He brought a knife and he said, This child should not be alive. And what I didn't realize at the time was, you know, I definitely went into mama bear mode, but my nervous system was in fight or flight. And I was just like, I gotta protect, I gotta protect, I gotta protect. And so I started carrying that like protective energy, coping strategy. As I continued mothering in my journey, which was becoming obsessed with mental health, getting a degree in social work, starting to work in child protection, literally oh, really working in child protection. I always wanted to be of service and I knew that it was aligned. But when I went in there, I was like, this is not what I can do for the next 30 years of my life. Like, There's this deeper desire of like seeing and understanding human behavior. And so I was pairing that with this driver inside of me, this energy, this push energy. And so, but culturally I'm getting, you know, this pats on the back, right? Like, wow, look at you. You're super mom. You're so young. Like you're crushing it. You're not a statistic. But inside I literally felt like I was dying. I'm like, not this, not this, not this. So fast forward a little bit. I leave my corporate job. At that time, I'm remarried to my now husband. Mm -hmm. Our boys, our youngest is a year old. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. Take the brave, courageous action. Leave corporate, start my business. And a few months in, I'm diagnosed with a stage four cancer.
1: Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Did you at all see any of that coming?
0: Mm. I talk about this in my book in one of the chapters. I'm like, wouldn't that be funny? I actually said to my husband, I feel like it wasn't a conscious thought. Wouldn't it be funny if I had cancer? Like it came out of my mouth one day. Hmm. Clearly not funny. But I feel like it was my soul, like trying to like save me just a little breadcrumb coming out of my mouth, of like a little spark, a little like pay attention. My physical body was dying for years previous. And I think a lot of people's physical bodies are dying, but we tell ourselves that we're healthy or we don't have time or that we just, you know, can't figure it out or this is the way it is because neglect, physical neglect, whether it was nutrition or movement, was literally bread inside of me of you're not obese. You don't need to lose weight. Therefore, you don't need to worry about diet. You don't need to go to the gym. Nobody ever talked about health mm. and doing things from a healthy
1: perspective. And even mental health or even your emotional health. And I, I want to even circle back a little bit even before because... So you go through this first kind of initiation and big hurdle with being mama bear of your first child and you're 18 years old and you are now having this world of pressure on your shoulders, not only to protect your firstborn, but then also to prove to the world that you're not going to be a statistic. Yeah. So that's incredible pressure as you're getting into your 20s. You get this incredible job that now you have the courage to leave and you found love. You got married. And so now two kids in in your mid-20s and you get this diagnosis. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So three at the time. So three kids. All my children born. They were all born. Um, Okay. Diagnosis, still with my husband. So my husband and I have been together for... So my oldest is 18 and we've been together since he was a year and a half old. So through thick and thin, sickness and in health. I mean, that's a whole other conversation because I was like, okay, you were the complete opposite of what I'm attracted to typically. So I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to lean in and I'm going to chip away at the walls around my heart to let you in. And sometimes, you know, the wall's still there. And he's like, I'm not going anywhere. Like that that steady rock. Isn't
1: that so interesting that many times, you know, it's not that ideal that we thought, but they're exactly what we need in so many ways.
0: Yeah. I physically remember though being like, if I keep turning left, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. You are not my typical choice. Therefore, I am going to say yes. There is something here. And it took me a very long time. because so I was like, eh. Is this going to work? Is it like it was just fascinating? And I didn't know, like, I was slightly into personal development, but I didn't like dive into the deep end of I need to find my love. Like, that was never my thing. So, yeah, it's been a wild ride from the relationship piece and from a health piece. Well, I was going to just say,
1: where do you think at that time your awareness kicked in to say
0: he is your person? I don't know. I think about this a lot because I'm like, was there something bigger at play that was like, here you go, Heather. But what part of me said yes? Like, I have no idea. Maybe the wise part of me, the intuitive part, do I even believe that I was worthy of love when we met? I guarantee you the answer was no because I see the correlation between That and my health diagnosis, like when I was diagnosed, first of all, the first thing I thought, and I can't remember if I wrote this in my book or not, because I didn't want my dad to read it, was, I wonder if my father will notice me now. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then after that, of course, then I had to heal that part of realizing he does notice me. He just doesn't know how to connect with me. Mm -hmm. But my physical body, I talk about this a lot, where... I had, at the point of diagnosis, nine years of personal and professional development under my belt. Wow. Coaches, podcasts, mentors, retreat, all of that. So you were just going bust. Like you were yes, just... Yes, because 100% because I was trying to, one, my pain point was parenting, but my pain point wasn't actually parenting. It was my fear of failing as a parent and then I was starting to invest in how do you build a business? I have a social work background. I am not a quote unquote business owner. So I'm trying to, that was my interpersonal and professional development. So then I get this diagnosis and I'm like, I surrender. I surrender. I get it. So it was like, I was training and then now I had to like run the race. I'm like, this is it. This is the work I've been avoiding because I don't have a back door. And I remember walking out of the hospital the night of my diagnosis and they literally diagnosed me on the spot. You know, they're like, you have cancer, we just don't know what kind because my abdomen was literally swollen and growing rapidly. I looked pregnant and it was tumors exploding in my stomach, like rapid. And I remember walking out of the hospital and just looking up and it was raining and it should have been snowing based on where I live in the time of year. And I'm like, I will finally listen. You got my attention. And everything just slowed down. And I'm like, okay, you've read the books. You've had the mentors. You've heard about all of this. Do the freaking work, Heather. You now have to face your fear, face your lack of feeling like you're not worthy, face everything you want to run away from, look at your resistance like it was like the only way out was through and i now was running through hmm. wow Are you looking for your next steps in
1: deepening your personal growth journey? Curious to follow your highest purpose or true calling in life? Maybe you just got out of a toxic relationship or finally focusing on your next chapter. Here's your invitation to join doors at Dharma Coaching Institute, our six month container to get certified as a dual soul purpose coach or spiritual life coach. Whether you want to be a coach or want to dive deeper into your own purpose, this is the school I wish I had during my tough moments in life. So I teamed up with my co-founder, Sahara Rose. This is the world's first soul purpose, Dharma coaching and spiritual life coaching dual certification. And we've certified over a thousand students. So loves it's time. Take the leap of your life and find like-minded, connected community that grows with you in the process. Align with your soul's unique purpose and build a thriving heart-centered coaching business that honors your truth. Join us together at neethabushan.com/dharma forward slash Dharma. That is nithabushan, B-H-U-S-H-A-N.com forward slash Dharma. And now back to the show. You know, I was so excited to bring you on because I know we had our conversation on your podcast, and I knew we had very similar kind of trajectories in many ways, going through a lot young. And what was going through your mind about, you know, it's a stage four diagnosis? And mm. because you have, on the one hand, all of the work that was now in your face of everything that you've avoided and you've already. Had read and were well read, and you were doing all of the things. And now this real human situation has come up physically, and a stage four diagnosis does mm-hmm. not sound good. How yeah. was that in your psyche, in your body, with your family? How did you unpack that? Because what I'm hearing is there was the emotional and mental component. But then there's also, you know, that, that real component of, all right, this is not just something I'm reading on a post. Like this is me. Mm
0: -hmm. So number one, a huge part of my why, again, when I was 18 was my son. Like he literally was like, here's your purpose. Live for this child. I had to learn how to find purpose beyond mothering. But when I was also diagnosed, I'm like, one, I'm his everything. Like, I am his only biological parent that he has. I need to live for him, but I want my children to have a mother. And so I remember fighting to feel alive. And I talk a lot about aliveness because at that point, you know, we all read The Secret, (laughs) we all read The Secret, but we're like, Okay, what do I do? Do I make a vision board? Whatever. I was smart enough to understand that it wasn't the goals, the money, the success was not what I was actually after. It was a feeling. I knew that. I was, I got that, but I didn't know how to feel the feeling. I knew how to feel fear. I knew how to feel exhaustion. I knew how to feel overwhelmed. I knew how to feel anger and resentment. That was my comfort zone. And then, I was like, okay, I got to figure out how to feel alive. And so I remember like literally fighting with myself to reach for joy, reach for aliveness, reach for contentment. And then I was creating strategies along the period of the time of like, how do I take these concepts and make it practical for? somebody who has nothing, like no energy, three children, and I'm in the startup phase of my business. And I also don't have the privilege of not working right now. I don't have the financial privilege of not working. So I'm in startup. I'm literally in treatment, no energy, rock bottom, and I still have my children to take care of. Yes, I had support. Yes, I had all those things. It was fascinating to watch people around me. So this whole like, how do I want to feel? How do I want to feel? How do I want to feel? I had to retrain my brain constantly in every moment to go from, Heather, you're freaking out. You're like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm like, stop. Are you dead? Like literally talking to myself. Are you dead? No, you're here. Cool. Present. How do you want to feel? Okay. What would an alive person do? How would she show up right now? Well, she'd probably give herself 10 more minutes of this pity party and then get in the shower. Done for the day. Check the box. Next day, get in the shower, sit on your porch, send that one email you don't want to send. Like it was like, oh my gosh, I felt like I was crawling. Watching everybody around me, I realized, oh crap, I have been carrying all of these people. I am the strong one. I am the responsible one. I am the one who mothers, nurtures, shows up for everybody else. People actually didn't know how to show up for me. And then when they did, I was like, this person is dumping their shit on me about me and how stressed out my situation is making them. And they want me to be their therapist. While I'm in my hospital bed and I'm like, holy crap. But everything was like slow motion. I'm like, how do I want to feel? So that's where I started learning boundaries, like really energetic boundaries of, no, you can't see me today. Or I'm like, I'm just not responding to that text message. Or I even changed my name. So my legal name is not Heather Chauvet. It's my maiden name. Mm -hmm. So people couldn't find me in the hospital. They were looking for me and they're like, no, she's not here because Heather Chauvin was not in the hospital. So I loved it. People didn't know where I was. They didn't know what, you know, they're like, oh, I want to go visit her. And I was like, boundaries, space, capacity. It was like mind blowing to watch how much I was carrying on my little invisible platter of expectation.
1: It's so interesting because I think for so many of us who are the emotional leaders, the nurturers, the givers, the martyrs, the mothers, the mothering, even if you don't have children or a family yet, you are the one people come to for that support, for that advice. You are the way shower of your friends and your family. Yet when you actually need that support, they just, don't know how to support you because maybe they'll, you know, in their minds, they're like, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I can't meet her the way she usually meets me? And then therefore, we're kind of like, wait, so I have to take care of you as well and your energetics and what you're also bringing to the table because you aren't comfortable with How I am right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that it comes down to, I think, even, you know, what you're starting to share around boundaries, but really also starting to teach people the way that they should be treating you. And for you to actually even have that boundary and even bravery to say, I'm actually going to protect myself, even though I kind of want people to be there for me, but I need to really be there for myself right
0: now. That's powerful. hundred percent. I just tell people, please don't wait until you get a diagnosis. Like, Don't wait for your life to blow up in order to do this work. Put yourself in those emotionally uncomfortable situations. Like just put up a boundary and sit with your discomfort. I always say, I don't believe in hard things. I don't believe I can do hard things, like the beautiful saying that everyone you know, online loves to say. Great, if that's what gets you up in the middle or gets you through the day. But to me, it didn't sit well because I'm like, I'm addicted to hard. Yeah. I'm addicted to the struggle. So can I need actually to figure out... <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what? What I shifted it to was I can do emotionally uncomfortable things. Mm. So my day can feel easy. It, I want to feel light. I want to feel energized. I want to feel alive. I want my day to feel like that. But then if I keep telling myself I can do hard things, it feels like counterintuitive. It just doesn't, they don't go together. So I'm like, I can do emotionally uncomfortable things. So my day can feel easy, but you know what else is not emotionally uncomfortable? When you're used to filling every nook and cranny of your day with work or people pleasing or do, 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 and you block out your Friday to have a you day and you're like, oh, wow, lots of feelings coming up. Oh, wow, my brain is not focused. Oh, wow, I want to do this. I want to do that. That is not hard. It's emotionally uncomfortable it's in alignment with who you want to be and what you want your life to look like. It's not hard. It's emotionally uncomfortable. So when I started shifting it, that perspective, I'm like, there's something here I need to feel. And if I want to get to freedom, alive, joy, ease, I need to feel the opposite as well. I need to feel what's in my cup so that it can come up and out and I can create capacity for what I want. It's an identity shift. But the thing about the people around me I realized I was addicted to rescuing other people.
1: That's the So I always
0: say, yes. I'm like, I'm a recovering rescuer. Mm -hmm. Children, partner, like nobody could watch my children. Oh my gosh, if they ate craft dinner, I have failed. Well, what do you think the stress about food, like do you think that is a bigger influence than like what you're actually physically putting in your body And then now having a teenager, you have no control over what your children do. And the more control you put, the more restrictive you become, the more they want to rebel against it and be like, I'm going to eat the opposite of everything when you're not looking. So it's like observing all these little things. So my recovering rescue where I was observing how I was actually taking away from other people's healing experiences And human growth opportunities because I was trying to make their fall lighter. Yep. And that was mind blowing to me. And then as I continued, knowing that it's almost been a decade, observing how people do that in their businesses as well for their clients, for their team. And I'm like, oh man, not only are you doing this at home, you're also doing this in your work. It's not about not having enough time, energy, or money. You are literally just taking on so much that is not yours and it's not sustainable and eventually you're either going to end up broke, sick, or you're done. Yeah.
1: Well, the other thing that I wanted to unpack here, I mean, which is uh, there's so many juicy morsel nuggets, but I think that so often our society really praises the hustle. And if we are just not hustling, then we're not worthy of success. We're not worthy of, you know, the hard work and the long days and the 18 hours, but then to what cost? And for you even, what a beautiful awareness to actually see, hey, I'm not just doing this around my children. I'm not just doing this with my immediate family. I'm actually doing this with my friendships. I'm actually trying to be a martyr to all of my clients, to my team. And it is a noble thing, quote unquote noble, to actually want to Mother Teresa, you know, everyone that comes in your way. And I think, and I don't know if this has been your experience, but I've noticed that anytime somebody is like new to the work or new to their own journey and their own personal growth, they want to take everyone in and they're like, let's go and I want to change this person and I know they can shift and change. And I was also you know, very, very similar sentiments. I wanted to take everyone along. I wanted to make sure that, you know, there was a huge mattress that they can just lie on where they weren't going to have a fall and break their nose metaphorically. And sometimes, you know, I think we just have to surrender to that's their experience. And I think it shifts when you actually have your own children where you're kind of like, if I keep tying their shoes, if I keep propping them up when they fall back down. They're never going to learn any of these basic life skills to actually live.
0: Oh boy. (laughs) Yes. I feel like, first of all, we all know, well, maybe not everyone knows this, but the work is never done. Yeah. And somebody said to me the other day, because I find it fascinating how your children just mirror where you need to go and grow. Like I truly believe, and I talk a lot about this because I'm such an advocate for children and mental health and emotional well being and anxiety management and all the things. And they have their own human experience. And we have to remember that. But then we're having our experience in relation to them. And it's fascinating how when certain, they turn certain ages, you're like, we're getting along right now. And then they turn another age and it's like, oh my gosh, this is the worst. My son, like him turning 18 has been the most challenging, challenging parenting period of my life. (sighs) Why do you think that is? I was 18 when I had him. Mm -hmm. I am healing everything I went through. Like that is in my face. But because I have that awareness, I'm like, okay, here we go. But there's that fine line between caring and controlling. Like it's this dance and nobody has the right answer. Is Am I enabling right now? Or am I being loving and nurturing, right? Like, And then there's their brain and their brain development. And you're going like, it's just this dance. Like I can say something, he'll say it back to me. And I immediately am like, yep, that was controlling. And then I'll be like, I'm sorry. I'm going to turn that around. There's no quick fixes. There's no perfection here. It's like this daily dance, like the wind. And it's not just parenting. It's every relationship that you have with your work, your time, your energy, your body. And that becomes exhausting. This daily dance. You're like, am I caring? Am I controlling? Is this this? Is this this? And then sometimes I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to eat the bag of chips. Like who cares? Um, I need to be human <laughs> yeah.
1: as well. Well, and I think that's where the, and why, you know, I love the, the humor and the wit that you bring to this work because it can't be all that so serious all at the same time. I mean, you faced this really huge sentence- and for you to embrace, you know, the suck, allow yourself to really sit in that suck and reframe, you know, what a lot of times people are, they're so afraid to go into that pain. They're so afraid to feel the discomfort. And as we're getting more and more into fast and quick and let's go, it's all right, we have dopamine. Devices that we can just swipe and be done. And all right, voila, I don't have to move through those emotions because I just saw a really funny meme and I can just like snap out of it. Well, mm-hmm. that stuff's gonna like bottle up and just layer upon layer upon layer. Now, I wanna kind of close the loop as to what our audience is probably thinking and wanting to know. What was the rest of that journey into your healing? Mm
0: hmm. I'm fabulous today. So everyone wants to know, they're like, how are you doing? I have a cold. I'm getting over a cold. But in general, I am healthier than I've ever been. And so I went through Western medicine. Again, I had to surrender to that. I was into Eastern medicine, but I was not in a place where I had the capacity or my physical body, I had to surrender, which was fascinating in itself. A lot of shame around health, especially in the wellness space Mm -hmm. and choices that we make. And then I jumped into functional medicine. And at the beginning, my goal was to get away from cancer, like air quotes, run away from it. And then something shifted where I felt safe. And I was like, now I'm here to optimize. And I'm like, how good can it get? And not from a fear-based perspective, but just trying to constantly live through the lens of how do I want to feel in my physical body, my mental body, my emotional body, my spiritual body, in my relationships, in my work, and then constantly letting that be my North Star to how I live my life. It's not a one and done. So I have more. Abundance in my life, time, energy, health. I feel like I'm getting younger and younger energetically. And I can see how choosing that path in a few years will, you know, you, I see it. I love following people who are like in their sixties and seventies and defining odds just through simple lifestyle shifts, not like crazy biohacking or all those, whatever. It's like, Just the daily choices they choose to make to like, I'm not going to believe that stereotype that we are taught. I'm just going to shift one degree over here. Those are the people that inspire me. And I can feel it coming five, 10 years. I'm going to be looking at my friends and being like, you better come on. If you don't come on, it's like sink or swim. So I, I think life feels like a playground to me now. Yes, stress does happen. Overwhelm does happen. But I identify those as symptoms Mm. and I say, oh, something's going on. Let's look into it rather than let's not feel that. Let's shove it down and let's keep moving on. So I use contrast as a symptom now, not, you know, life sucks. And honestly, contrast
1: is the most beautiful
0: teacher Oh, such a beautiful. I'm so grateful for it.
1: It's, I think that, you know, more of us need to normalize the beauty in contrast. And with that, I want to segue into our final segment. What do you think it means to be brave in this stage and season of your life? Just having
0: the courage to feel good, Mm -hmm. having the courage to listen to myself and act on it. Right now in this season, I've experienced a lot of contrast in the last year of my life. Not crisis contrast, but I could feel it coming if I don't take action to shift a little bit. And I started asking myself and writing it out, if I deeply trusted myself, what action would I take today? What decision would I make? And so to me, it's having the courage to act on what I feel, is true and where i need to go even if it's emotionally uncomfortable yes
1: uh, it's always always that's where we grow and what right now any books
0: rituals practices for you are elevating your life right now it's i'm in a season of no mm-hmm. rituals and practices i'm also the consistently inconsistent person where <laughs> i love You know, if I'm too restrictive in consistency and I'm not, you know, it becomes a box checker. So I'm very fluid, but consistent with some type of ritual. I'm a little bit of a rebel as well, but very much in the season of no and decluttering, like Mm -hmm. letting go, like what's not working in my business. Let's let that go. And not so much like who's in my life that's not aligned, letting them go, just allowing things to fall that are no longer in alignment, you know, pitches, events, like, oh boy, I want to be at all the retreats. I want to do all the things. And I'm saying, not right now. And then forcing myself to sit in this container of focus for 90 days, six months to gain momentum and sitting with my fear of uncertainty.
1: Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. One word that describes the season.
0: Well, I was going to say deep self-trust, but that's multiple words. So I would say trust. (laughs) Deep self-trust it is. Heather, wow.
1: Thank you for your incredible journey. I just want to honor you in what you've brought to the Brave Table today and helping us all be emotionally uncomfortable through your walk, through the unpacking, through the way that now you show up for parents and teens and children and even ourselves to reparent ourselves. What a gift you are. Mm -hmm. And if you can share how we can get more juice out of you and how we can follow you on all of the things.
0: Yes. Thank you. I always tell people, I understand that the work I do and the work you do is not a one and done or like five simple, easy steps. So I have lots of resources for you. So actually, if you go to my name, Heather Chauvin, dot com forward slash free gifts with an S. I have my podcast, Emotionally Uncomfortable. My book's on there. I have a private podcast, just business only. I'm starting one for parents only. All the things, quizzes you can take to notice where to focus your energy and attention to see you know, results. So all the things, just go follow me there. And I'm, I hang out a lot on the podcast, Emotionally Uncomfortable.
1: Yes. And we'll link our podcast that we did on your end in the show notes as well. Heather, such a gift. What a pleasure. And we'll have to bring you back because this was too juicy for part two. Love it. Thank you, Nathan. Okay there, fam. Follow Heather on Instagram at Heather Chauvin. Hang out with her on our podcast and get emotionally uncomfortable and access her free tools to confidently manage your energy, emotions, and your impact at heatherschauvin.com. That is heatherschauvin.com forward slash free gifts. I will go ahead and link that in the show notes. Now, if you love this episode, you will get a kick out of episode 149, Emotional Hygiene, How to Repair and Be With Your Emotions When They Get Out of Control. Episode 137, Harnessing the Power Within to Live Life of Vulnerability and Grace with Dr. Cheryl Wood, and episode 134, How to Navigate the Journey of Success to Reconcile Challenging Emotions with Laura Gossner Oding. All right, my dears. Well... If you've loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend, a family member, a colleague. Invite them into having this conversation with a break table in their lives. Follow us on IG for more tips and tools. And don't forget to give us a five-star review. We are loving, loving the reviews that are coming in. And honestly, it helps us do better. It helps us get even better guests because next year's lineup is going to be so off the hook. So when you actually submit your five-star review, go ahead and screenshot it. And when you do that, send it to support at globalgrit.co. That is support at globalgrit.co. And we will send you a free gift. Thank you so much for being here and see you next time on The Brain Team.